BET is the global meeting place for the education community. A trusted brand with more than 30 years of heritage, the BET series promotes the discovery of knowledge and technology to enhance lifelong learning. This episode of the EdTech Podcast is sponsored by FormAssembly, a leading web form builder and data collection platform for colleges and universities. With its drag-and-drop interface, robust integrations and high standards of security and compliance, FormAssembly helps hundreds of customers in the higher education industry streamline data collection processes for students, staff and alumni. For more information about FormAssembly, visit formassembly.com forward slash edtech. Hello dear listeners and welcome to the EdTech Podcast. A big shout out to BET for supporting this series, Form Assembly for supporting this episode and to our fantastic guests this week. It's like, it's not about choosing the right content. It's about creating the right atmosphere when you're, when you're helping others to see beyond. This episode is all about leadership and a timely reflection on how we can bolster our resolve and communicate a shared vision during radically changing times. In short, it's all about people. And you don't have to be an automaton. In fact, you're allowed to be yourself to lead effectively. In conversation are interdisciplinarian Carla Ertz and digital transformation leader Bernardo Crespo. I love this chat and in fact I've left the pre-record note swapping in as I really enjoyed listening to Carla and Bernardo chatting away and getting to know one another. In this episode they're talking about the books they've enjoyed lately, which five soft skills are indicators of premium salaries and why artificial intelligence crafted classical music makes us feel uneasy. One reflection I really enjoyed was on why generalists are essential in the knowledge domain that we find ourselves in, in order to mediate the flow of information and join the dots, building on the themes of David Epstein's book, Range. I'm certainly down with that. Indeed, if that is the case, then there's hope for us all. Listen on to hear Bernardo talk about what three factors are essential to think about for modern leaders. And I hope this episode boosts your own sense of leadership as you listen in. If you enjoyed, don't forget to share with us on LinkedIn, Twitter or Clubhouse or wherever else you are lurking these days. Here we go. We start off by hearing all about Zoom backdrops and how things are currently in Madrid at the time of recording. So Carla, please... You know, pleasure to meet you. Yeah, same here, Bernardo. Really, really nice to meet you. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's a pleasure. I can see that you've got a fake background, but I really like it. Yes, I'm sort of uh, transported myself to the Lake District. <laughs> <laughs> you can go and wander around until 11 o'clock. This is right. lockdown measures now in Madrid. So maybe you can have dinner with your friends until 10 o'clock. And then you have to get back home before 11 o'clock. So okay. As, right. as far as that, you know, for example, today at 4 o'clock, you know, I'm, I'm starting my program. Yeah. Uh, this is the ninth edition. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be there physically with the, with the students. Wow. So it's not, Fantastic. It's, not really, yeah. it's not really that harsh. Well, that sounds a bit better than here. So that's good. What about, what about yourself? Tell me something about you, please. Um, so I live in the UK, but I'm originally from, from Belgium. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've had a fairly varied career path. I started in the performing arts and then moved into digital, did a lot of digital transformation, worked a bit similar to you, some of it, uh, but then ended up in, in sort of more in the education space, uh, international education and technology. And I'm also a learning scientist, so I, I did some learning science uh, studies. And I sort of work a lot with startups now, um, also still work with publishers on transformation strategies and, and sort of digitization uh, projects. Um, and sort of, yeah, edtech and, and learning science is my field. And I sort of over the summer set up a small um, project um, interdisciplinary around learning, set up a kind of a small online community. Um, where 
I sort of curate and bring lots of information and articles and on different strands of education and learning, but also on books and a bit of art. And so it's sort of, um, it's, it's good fun. To it sounds do. amazing, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. You know, when you talk about yeah. that, and, and the more I know people that are engaged somehow in learning and, and well, let's call it facilitating others, the understanding of what digital transformation is. Yeah. It's like, I mean, we are facing a new kind of like paradigm shift in which, I mean, we need kind of like uh, both streams and both tails of the, you know, of let's call it the knowledge domain in order to find yes. the right people of dealing with something as complicated as new emerging technologies and something yes. as simple as human nature. So yes. right, now, exactly. right now I'm through the reading, it's not here. Yeah, it is. I'm through the reading of this book, Range. Oh yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, I did a review of it on on my uh, on my network. Oh, yeah. So yeah. if you think it's brilliant, fantastic, you know. So it's yeah, kind of, it's, it's kind of funny. Good. It's kind of funny the way we're talking about in a really and and fully specialized world. What we need, the kind of profiles that we need are are Renaissance sages. So it's yes, kind of weird. exactly. When I was promoted at head of digital marketing for VBBA, yeah. Uh, now VBBA is a is a really renowned bank for leading digital transformation worldwide but i remember when you know when they appointed me to be the head of digital of digital marketing i i was i was in colombia certifying as a as an ontological coach okay right so, yeah and, and i remember you know the guy my boss the guy he's a really good friend of mine calling me and i said what the heck are you doing in colombia and i said well right. it's a long story but long story short is is because, you know, I found myself completely lost. Something was broken. I didn't, I didn't know how to cope with my life. And I went yeah. and I went to Colombia to certify as a coach. I don't care about being a coach. The idea of putting together language, emotion and body, I think is something that is going to help me in life. And he said... Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. it was so funny because, you know, after this conversation that it was an exercise of, tra of transparency, he came to me back and he said... I have to admit something, but I don't want to do it publicly. I do meditation. And and I say, that's kind of funny, you know, yeah. because in this kind of like uh, dull, cold uh, culture and corporate world, I mean, no one is willing to admit that, you know, I'm yes. kind of like, you know, getting some insights about something that goes beyond professional skills. And I said, yes. point. I don't see why this is a vulnerability or why behind the, this is like you're exposing yourself and risking your reputation. It makes you, you know, a better professional. So yes, don't, see, exactly. don't see why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started learning the flute in uh, the Baroque flute in, in lockdown as well. Oh, yeah. wow. So, yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I used to play a lot of music when I was younger and then I stopped and so now I'm picking it up again. So yeah. And I, I do a bit of painting too. I'm just going to show you this book. It's called The Polymath. Yes. And I'll, I'll send you a link after the, after we've spoken. We set up a new network, the Da Vinci Network. So um might be interesting. Thank you yeah. so much. There is nothing not as beautiful as a, as a book recommendation. Okay. Hello everyone. Uh, today's guest is Bernardo Crespo Velasco. Um, Bernardo has got tremendous experience in digital transformation and is involved in, a, in very interesting programs and projects. He's a co-founder and inspirer, which is a title I really like, of Escapades Exponentiales um, and the academic director of Digital Transformation and executive education at the IE University in Madrid in Spain. However, this is not everything Bernardo does. Bernardo is a change maker, a digital transformation guru, has worked with a number of organizations and has got a huge track record in the digital world. It only leaves me to kind of welcome Bernardo and get Bernardo to talk about his work. And Bernardo, um, welcome to the podcast. Um, my first question to you is, you know, how did you get involved in this kind of work uh, in the digital world? First of all, thank you so much for having me. And, and, and well, you know, in, in trying to answer your question about how did I get involved, it's like kind of like weird. By accident, can I say that? I mean... Yes, you can. It's the same for me. <laughs> by accident. 
I've been a digital curious. I mean, this is what I am, you know, is 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 one of my is one of the reasons I wake up in the morning. I'm curious about life, I'm curious about human behavior. And as long as I was engaged in 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 this kind of like new digital era, I the first my first observation was, oh my God, this is gonna change the way we are. This is gonna change the way we relate to each other. And from now on, there is something huge behind it. So just by accident, I was promoted to be the head of digital transformation of a bank, which is BBVA. And, and from that moment on, I saw that I saw that you know the real challenge for companies regarding digital transformation is like putting together three, let's call it enablers, which is people, data, and technology. And in putting the three of them, there is something like beautiful that emerges and, and a fantastic challenges that we are facing right now. So how did I get involved by accident? What's my curiosity and what's my focus on people, data and technology? It's quite interesting to hear you saying by accident, because I've heard it from quite a few people. And it's certainly been my journey into the digital space, been totally accidental. Um, but obviously, you've sort of over the years have focused a lot on on leadership and and advising of 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 leaders, but also providing leadership yourself, and that's sort of at the core of your work. Can you tell me a little bit or tell us a bit more about the focus on leadership and what does that mean in terms of digital leadership? What because we all talk about it, but it's such a wide concept. What does it really mean uh, in in your view? Well, you know, if, if I can use, I can tell you an anecdote about my life and the way, I mean, it, it was, it was sure. back, back in 2011, my son was only one year old and, 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 I, was in, and I was in Colombia certifying as an ontological coach uh, with Julio Olaya and my, and my master at that time, Anita Torres. And, and it was fantastic because, you know, when you decide that you want to get a, you know, a deep, a, a, a big depth into the idea of how to evolve and how to be a better person and how to understand life uh, suddenly because you know there is a there is a breakage in life. So I went to Colombia and when I was there, it was by that time when uh, the guy who is who was going to be my boss was calling me and I said, "Hey man, I want to offer you you know to lead uh, the digital marketing at BBVA." where are you right now? And I said, in Colombia, what are you doing? I'm certified as a coach and as an ontological coach. And I said, I don't, I don't even know what ontological means, but it sounds kind of weird. So basically, my feeling and the way I was connected to all those worlds and why do I think, you know, putting together leadership in a digital context is so important. It's just because, you know, is there is something one, is, is there is just one lesson learned that I can share with everyone is that, well, you know, everything is uncertain. Unpredictability is the new norm. Um, I don't have nothing else to say, you know, after 2020. I, I, sometimes I say that we are in the 80th of December 2020 and 2021 is going to be fantastic. And, 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 you know, educating people and helping people to deal with an uncertain world is part of the challenge that we have to uh, let's say professions get more proficient when it comes to 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 understand you know what digital means to companies and what this kind of like uh, technological data disruption is bringing to all of us so it's a weird mixture it's a weird blend of soft and hard skills that's why i think you know leadership in a digital context is is a combination of so many different things yeah, that's that's really interesting what you've highlighted. And and because when I think about digital transformation projects that I've been involved in, uh, the kind of cultural aspect of an organization is um, so important. And culture change, for me, is, is a really big part of, of these kind of projects. And what you've highlighted about sort of uh, uncertainty is really interesting in that context because what you're doing when you're bringing digital transformation into into organizations where that's new you're bringing a lot of uncertainty into those organizations and our culture and the way we want to behave are all about you know i want to be com have confidence and be certain um so there's like this big clash of of 
um, uncertainty versus certainty. So in your view, do you think the culture change aspect of these programs are fundam- is fundamental to it? Well, it, it is, you know, when I was designing my program uh, in digital transformation, I was putting three, three, three things together. I told you before people date on technology and, and people, because, you know, you have to focus on, on the way you're dealing with customers in a digital context. People, because you have to deal with the way people are able to create something fantastic and 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 something that that comes out of nothing and transform the company. So it's about creativity applied to to a strategic design uh, and data and technology because our two enablers, two fantastic enablers, uh, in a reality that is remote and is working and running on a device and a remote on a remote device. So, I mean, the concept of eternal traceability which is what we are facing and i mean there is a lot to talk about that and and, yes. and fears <laughs> and threats about that of course but the idea that emerging technologies and ch- are changing the way we are and not only changing but evolving the way we are so putting together people data and technology and challenging you know the way companies design what they think is the culture of the company is is a is a, is a really important pillar of the program so yeah, I mean, concepts like self-managed organizations and concepts like, you know, dealing with fear and, and intergenerational blending of capacities and, and skills is the, the kind of topics that we deal at, at the program. And, and it was designed from the very beginning. It was funny because, you know, when people saying, you know, I want to do a program in digital transformation, but, you know, I'm really focused on technology. And I said, well, wrong path, man. Maybe you're not talking to the right person. You're not talking to yeah. the right program. And I said, why not? I thought in technology was basic. And I said, it really is. But it comes after people and data. So if I go back to sort of your, your leadership um, and leadership in a digital world, what do you think are the biggest lessons that you've learned you know, from your journey in, in this kind of ever-evolving and, and really fascinate, fascinating domain uh, that never stops? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound repetitive, but curiosity is my, my, my lesson learned. I mean, you have to be curious all the time and you have to keep an eye on, on the kind of things that are moving. So curiosity is my first lesson. The second is, you know, be critical because, you know, we have a huge access to content content is everywhere but there is so much to curate in order to know exactly what you're dealing with and 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 you know please i mean you know always focus on on the possibilities of what you're creating what you're investigating what you're designing is going to be the future so be responsible for you for for the things you're dealing with it's not about results. It's not about efficiency. It's not about quarterly earnings only. I mean, what we are creating right now is basically, you know, the, the baseline of, of the future. So be sustainable and, and, and think about, you know, creating something that, well, is going to be the legacy for your kids. Um, so if, if you were sort of um, talking to a leader in an organization who's kind of tearing, their hair out because they don't really know what to do and this could be any kind of organization could be your conductor you know sort of um, because it applies everywhere now it's not just in corporate world or agencies or you know all these these distinctions are becoming increasingly blurred so if you were talking to leadership in in a context for want of a better word about this this digital world and about leading in this digital world, but not knowing where to start. Have you got something to say to them that sort of um, gives them a segue into knowing where to start? Well, the first thing is to the first thing is to commit and to design a shared vision. And this is the the first thing to do before you start doing anything. I mean. Uh, go through the process of holding a really thoughtful conversation about what you all agree is a future desirable situation. And I think, you know, it's, it's something basic, but, you know, we are so hectic and we are so worried and, and so efficient and so, so task 
focused that we forget that, you know, get sometimes to think about, you know, what is going to be the shared vision, the share, the committed vision, you know, the, the think, you know, what do you think you are committed to doing in the future with your company and be flexible enough to be changing that vision over time because it wouldn't be, it won't be the idea that once it's done, you know, you thought your vision, no, it doesn't work that way. The first step for a leader dealing with digital transformation is that, you know, get the right, the right people in the organization and please commit you as a group to share the same vision. And it has to be that way. It's about consensus about the future. And some companies are not willing to spend that because they think, well, I mean, what's the point in doing that? Well, basically you're designing, you know, what you're going after you design and you're not the star is worth spending time on doing that yeah. before engaging in any kind of project before breaking the project into epics into tasks into user stories please you know commit yourself to create a shared vision so that would be my first recommendation yeah yeah what's interesting there is and, and is the more we talk about digital the more the focus is also and has to shift to the people because without the people, we can talk about digital as much as we like. It becomes a bit meaningless. You know, when you're sort of looking at leadership in, in these kind of programs, how important is the sort of collaboration? Because what, what one sometimes sees is that, you know, the leadership is all on board and, you know, wants you to lead a program like that and, and they're convinced and it's all fine. But then there's that kind of disconnect between the leadership and the rest of, of the organization at times, and where there should be a kind of collaboration. And how do you see that collaboration being um, sort of um, realized or manifest itself? And, and how do you kind of instigate that as, as you know, in your programs? And what's, what's your approach to do that? Mm -hmm. Carla, you know, when, when, when the first, you know, manifesto, Agile manifesto was issued back at the beginning of the of the 2000s, uh, there was a there was a concept without I mean without understanding this concept, it's impossible to understand why agile is is like so trending now, so trendy. And the concept is you know deleting and breaking and 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 trying to erode impediments for people to go through. So yeah. I think this is the concept of leadership, and this is the concept of managing teams in a digital world. It's about you know becoming servant leaders more than more than visionaries, and you have to do both. You have to see beyond. But the the ones that are going to create the miracle are not the guys that are going to execute your vision. It's the guys you're going to collaborate with in order to design what you have to. What do you think is a possible and ideal uh, future future desirable situation? So the point is that collaboration is basic, but not only among people within organization, but among companies, among competitors. And that's the reason why no longer we are talking about companies competing in verticals and in sectors. This, this Porterian idea of competition is, is like the old paradigm. Right now, what we're dealing with is the idea of creating ecosystems and platforms and my view, and I have to put it on top of that, because it is an important part of my vision about digital transformation, is how to make everything sustainable. Because, you know, I mean, what we are creating is something that maybe this kind of like digital fragmentation that we are dealing with. Yeah. Uh, well, basically, it brings on the table so many different risks that we don't even suspect yet. And it's got to do with what we are creating, but it must be magic. It must be the evolution of humankind, but at the same time, it must be disastrous if we don't keep an eye on sustainability. Absolutely. And this actually segues very nicely into sort of the next sort of um, questions I've, I've got for you, which are to do with talent, because what you're highlighting here really relies on, on sort of talent creation, sustainable talent, which in our future world of uncertainty is also quite an interesting concept in itself. Um, and how, how you sort of create or sort of um, realize the potential of that talent in, in these kind of organizations, but also people who aren't in the workplace yet 
And I believe you've been involved in quite an interesting program where, you know, you're looking at AI or machine learning and talent. And maybe you can sort of uh, tell us a bit more about that also in the context of what you you said before and and the sustainability and the sustainability of talent, Mm -hmm. which is not a static thing in itself anymore. No, I mean, this is... I mean, the only way to work on data and to explore the possibilities of skills regarding talent is to go through a longitudinal approach, which means basically considering that what you're putting is putting together static images of the present in order to gain knowledge and in order to be resilient, to, to evolve what the market is demanding and, and what we need, you know, as, as talent, talent is on the liquid. Talent is no longer no longer something static. So that project was fantastic. I mean, we were committed to to exploring the possibilities of employability, which is kind of like a huge word. Employability is everything. And over the last 12 months, I've been involved in a project dealing with how can I put together what people is consider, what people consider their skills, what they offer to the market. And how can yeah. we put together what the market is demanding, translating both sides into taxonomies and, and, and putting the learner to work, basically, because this is what, you know, algorithm and, and, and artificial intelligence is what for. It's just to help us to go through and see beyond something that maybe our minds are not ready to do it or connect. So basically, this project created a, 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 machine, a fantastic algorithm. Uh, we call it an employability machine, which basically put together demand and supply regarding talent. And what we've learned is that, you know, it's funny, but I mean, if I want to say lifelong learning, you're going to say, please, Bernardo, don't give me that. It's like, you know, it's like so, so repeated. But it's true. I mean, it's, it's not an static view of the way talent is needed in the market. I mean, uh, Skills are evolving month over month, not only. Yeah. And, and I don't have, you know, a track record of years to tell you about it because, you know, we're in the process and we're applying that to different companies. But it's a mixture, as I told you, of soft and hard skills. The problem is that soft skills are, of course, no, I don't want to say it's not, it's, it's not an explorer you know, territory, it is explored, but we don't have that, you know, that much track record of soft skills in order to know. So I promise you, you know, I'll get back to you in a year time in order to talk, you know, the way, you know, the soft skills are kind of like offering a fantastic view. So, I mean, regarding that, I was kind of like surprised, something like two years ago when I go through a piece of research by the guys of Classdoor Technologies, and they were exploring something called uh, transportable skills, which is basically, you know, the softest skills that explains the premium in salaries regarding job descriptions. And, and, and they discovered something really valuable, is that only five skills, five softest skills, are the one explains why people are, you know, are, are, why companies are willing to pay more for certain talent. Uh, and it's problem solving, it's, uh, it's critical and creative thinking, Collaboration, communication, ethical mind, ethical mindset, and reasoning. So it's kind of funny because it, it connects the whole idea of dealing with the unpredictable. Uh, yeah. It connects the idea of you know being able to collaborate and use language as a generative concept, and at the same time it connects with the idea of being creative in a world that is impossible to predict and it's completely uncertain. So in your sort of AI or machine learning talent mapping project that that you were heavily involved in and you're clearly very passionate about, um, how did you deal with with the sort of the the issues around bias? Because obviously bias is, is, is a big issue. And if you're talking about talent and about people, when that issue gets amplified, and I'm not saying we can eradicate it completely, that's really, really hard to do. But how, how do you sort of think about bias in terms of, of, of talent and talent mapping? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a real issue. But, you know, we kind of approach, I have to, you know, I have to name, the, you know, I have to name one of my partners because Miguel Moreira de Silva is a Portuguese guy, fantastic, he's a clever mind, he's a really smart guy. And, and he decided to deal with it and tackle the problem of unconscious bias by learning, the, training the learner 
through real interactions of human resource experts. So basically, you know, when you find, uh, you know, something that is uh, indifferent to the machine, indifferent to the algorithmic, the best way to go through is, you know, choosing the examples, the resumes that you see that are indifferent to the learner and, and, and offer, a, you know, a person to go through that in order to see, you know, I mean, in order to measure, you know, the preference curve. So that, that was exactly the way we did it. And at the same time, we were keeping an eye on gender, we were keeping an eye on, and we were hiding, you know, the kind of like, uh, let's call it, you know, complicated traits that create, you know, the context for unconscious bias. So right. uh, yeah. it's, mm -mm. it's not something that, you know, one is done and let's move on. It's something that is part of, you know, our methodology and it's been improved day over day. Yeah, just shows that we're entering a new era of collaboration as well, which is that of the, the machine and the human being. I mean, it has been around for, for some time, but the kind of the sophistication of that communication and, and the sort of behavior in that communication is obviously changing very, very much. You mentioned data before, uh, your talent mapping project obviously relies incredibly heavily on, on data and really good data. And often uh, we have a sort of an amorous relationship with data now, you know, data is sort of what makes us all tick. But also, a lot is, is sort of still very um, mystified about data. We all think we know about data, but actually we know very little about data and what makes good data and what, what makes bad data or how, how we kind of interpret data. And it's becoming the, the sort of the world of the data scientists increasingly, which may be leaving quite a lot of, of people outside of that realm. So how do we make sure that you know, wider kind of public and, and people in the workplace who are not the data scientists also get an appreciation of what is data and how to look at data and how to understand data uh, rather than just kind of putting blind faith into data. Okay, that's a, this is a fantastic question, Carla. Well, my view is that, you know, first of all, we have to be at least aware the, of the fact that data is everywhere. First of all, data has got different shapes and different forms. It might be something, you know, that, that is, you know, formatted uh, as, as a database, you know, SQL data and, and no SQL data because, you know, uh, I, was, I was having a conversation with alumni on my program last week because I enrolled on Clubhouse. And, and at the moment- Same here. Uh, okay, yeah, it's fantastic. You know, it's a new experience. Yeah. And, and the conversation was about, you know, what about these conversations? Are they recording everything? So if you go through the general terms of the platform, they're recording the conversation just for the purpose of dealing with compliance, just in case, you know, some information is being required later on. And they talk about, you know, some months of, you know, batch recording, and then they promise that they're going to delete it. And my point here is that data is everything. Data is our conversations. Data is yeah. our interactions. Data is the information that any sensor is sending over a, over a host, over a, a central computer. I mean, data is everywhere. The problem is that when you are trying to help people to understand with data, what data is, my, my recommendation is to say data is everything that can be traced. You know, uh, it doesn't mean that data can predict the future. But, you know, there is a long, long, long tail of possibilities with data. But, yeah. you know, the problem is like, you know, maybe you don't need to know everything about pos the possibilities of data. The only thing you have to understand is that when working with data, 80% of the time is, is employed on, on cleaning and cleansing. Because, you know, data, I mean, it's, it's so complicated. When people say a project, well, AI project, advanced analytics, that is so fantastic. And I said, well, you know, be ready for keeping an eye on the small details because you're going to be 80% of your time, you know, employing and just cleaning everything because data data is dirty and, and is unusable, you know, if you don't, if you don't work on that. 
So my recommendation about data is like, you know, you we've got special talent for people dealing with data. There are so many, I mean, we're the, the market and, you know, business schools and, and education is bringing a new, a new breed of data scientists. But at the same time, we have to combine those skills with people that understand reality. I can give you the humanistic approach to use data. So I'm, I'm really glad you were bringing that topic about the unconscious bias. Because, you know, I was reading about uh, some examples of exercises in Australia this week. And it was, you know, about, uh, you know, this fantastic book by Daniel Kahneman, Thinking Fast and Slow. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was mm -hmm. basically, you know, through reinforced learning, which is one of the branches of, of, of deep learning and, and neural networks, you know, algorithms were finding exactly how to beat humans, taking advantage when they were biased by system one. So yeah. To put it simple is that we don't know that sometimes, sometimes we make choices because our mind is kind of like lazy and machines are able to detect that. So when it comes to data, when it comes to technology, and when it comes to create a sustainable and, and a sustainable future, my recommendation and my view is like let's keep an eye on transparency and control. We have to we have to be able to evolve this world using data, but at the same time we have to keep an eye on. I mean, it's not the technician, it's not the data scientist, the one that is going to change the world. It's a combination of so many different sources of wisdom. Uh, the one that is creating or the one that will be responsible uh, in the last instance for a sustainable world. And we have to be careful about that. I mean, from now on, regulation has is, is got to keep an eye on the way, I mean, algorithmic usages are kind of like low and ruled in order, you know, to, to know exactly when you're competing against a machine, when you're, I mean, when you're the product of a choice made by an algorithm, and, and the way those choices might be somehow biased by the initial design of the guy who was, you know, collecting the data, cleaning it, and, and feeding it into the learner. Yes, and of course, our own human bias just gets potentially amplified in those algorithms. And we mustn't forget that uh, either. That kind of uh, brings me to your educational um, career, if you like, because we've touched on a lot of aspects that obviously have, an, have a direct connection to education and learning. And if we look at sort of education systems now and what is happening in them, and again, the COVID pandemic has probably amplified that as well, is that we see this kind of discrepancy between what's happening inside the institution and the world beyond the institution. Um, so how do you see that kind of discrepancy or potentially widening gap between the two worlds? Um, Carla, you know, I, I, I'm optimistic about the future because, you know, the, basically the, the wide range of possibilities regarding the learning has increased amazingly. Yeah. I, was checking on, I was checking on public data released by Coursera and, and they released a report at the end of September Basically, they got a twofold increase in users through Coursera after March, you know, when, when the pandemic was declared by the WHO, you know, from, from nearly 40 millions of users to nearly 70 something millions of users, which is like doubling, you know, with doubling in, in less than one year. And I guess I don't have to, I don't have the data. I don't have the data to check yeah. that, but I'm sure they've doubled the users through the through the through this period of pandemic so my view is like you know the possibilities of learning has uh, the possibilities of learning have increased amazingly uh, over the last 12 months 12 months and at the same time the problem is that maybe we have to help people to learn how to learn because this is the real challenge you know the real challenge is not about supply you know, it's, it's not, you know, the possibilities. I mean, you can choose anything to be learned, but at the same time, you have to learn how to discriminate and how to curate the kind of like sources you're educating with or the kind of like sources you're trying to, to get, you know, lessons learned from. So uh, I guess the world, I mean, it's got a real challenge putting together the kind of like skills needed 
and at the same time, you know, the possibilities of creating the kind of skills you need for yourself. So, I mean, maybe we have to start talking about, you know, how to teach people and how to help people to go through the process of making their right choices about this kind of like eternal challenge of lifelong learning. And I don't know if I'm yeah. answering your question with this. <laughs> so I'm, up you to, are, yes. I, I'm optimistic. Yes. I think, you know, there is a huge range of possibilities to learn right now. The problem is that, you know, and I don't want to get back to that same topic. The problem is we, if we are able to do the right fitting and the right fine tuning in order to create, emerge, facilitate and teach exactly the kind of the skills that are needed. And, and, um, and maybe we have to keep an eye on 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 the challenges of economic instability and and the, and the lack of social cohesion in today's world. And they should be part of the kind of like curricula that we have to develop in the future. Yeah. So if you were talking to um, a policymaker or a minister in in a country that's sort of um, about what education should become rather than what it is. And I'm, I'm distinguishing here between learning and education. Um, so if you were talking about education, what would you say to, to a minister of education uh, about how they need to think about education and learning? Well, what, what, what a responsibility. <laughs> I mean, yeah, well, I mean, my, my, my view on my... Not my recommendation, my opinion, because, you know, one thing is, yeah. you know, my opinion about that is, you know, I've got, I think I've got a sense that we have to work on creating professionals that are able to distinguish people that are able to communicate and collaborate with each other. People that have, you know, uh, uh, a deep ethical mindset and they care about, you know, what we are creating. So in that sense, maybe it's not about you know, designing a curricula, but more about developing the skills. I was so glad when my son um, was getting out of school. I mean, he's only 10 and he was getting, you know, two hours a week about digital competences. Very nice. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and I remember when he came back from his school after the first class and I said, dad, you are the digital, the digital guy. I mean, um, yeah. and, you know, digital competences is so boring. So the problem is like, it's not about choosing the right content. It's about creating the right atmosphere when you're, when you're helping others to see beyond. So yeah. I think, you know, my recommendation regarding education is that keep an eye on the kind of people that are dedicating their lives to help others to go beyond and to learn. Because, you know, it's not about the content. It's not about the curricula. It's more about the dynamics. Because, you know, attention, I mean, is the real challenge that we're dealing with. I mean, people yeah. say as a, as, a, as a meme that, you know, beyond eight minutes, millennials are unable to keep their attention, you know, focus on, on something. It's not that. I mean, it's like, you know, maybe the rhythm, maybe the tempo, and maybe the dynamics is what we have to go through. So, you know, regarding education and answering your question, you know, think about, you know, the kind of people you're preparing to be the educators of the future. And, and, and keep an eye on the, the kind of skills you need. Because, I mean, from now on, we don't need access to information. Maybe what we have to cultivate and nurture is the capacity to distinguish. Yes, and to apply it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I, th I thought what you said was really beautiful. And you put the, the, the humans at the heart of it and the people who are doing this and, and who also need to evolve into that world. So I, I thought that was, um, yeah. Wonderful answer. Thank you so much. Mm -hmm. um, so if you were going to advise some uh, a young kid, you know, you have to make so many choices and, you know, I've got to, maybe I've got to do an MBA because that will give me a good career or maybe I need to do computer science or maybe I need to do this or maybe I need to do that, which is all pretty siloed. And, you know, from what you're saying, I can, and I, I very much feel a sense of, Moving beyond the silo, which is also where where I feel we need to go, um, and that obviously will influence how people make and young kids will make choices. So, if if 
a young kid came to you and said, Bernardo, I really don't know what I what I should be doing or what I what I need to do or how I'm gonna kind of be successful in this world that's kind of changing all the time. What would you say? <laughs> it's kind of funny. I mean, something like two years ago, uh, the the conductor of an of an orchestra, a symphonic orchestra, came to me and he said, Bernardo, you know, I've got a real talent. And you know, I've got the feeling that classical music is no longer interested for. I mean, it's not longer the choice. It's no longer the choice of people that are willing to, to you know, to get and take their, their first step in music. And I said, and how can I help you? And I said, yeah, well, you know, I've got something that like is a project of young, is a young uh, Iberian orchestra. And I would like to, I would like you to go there and help them, and help them to see beyond what digital transformation is. So I enrolled in the project, you know, pro bono. And, and, and well, you know, we decided to call the project the Innovatory instead of the Conservatory. Because, you know, right, okay. because yeah. keeping and conserving music is killing exactly, yeah. you know, the, the, the love and the passion for classical music. And I don't want to call Absolutely. it classical music for music. Uh, I mean, music is trendier than ever, but maybe the beauty of listening to 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 certain authors and and certain you know compositors is is no longer attractive and appealing to young people. So my recommendation is like let me put you know I mean if you want you know I can go there and I can and I can lecture them about the possibilities of classical music in a digital world. Basically, you know, I was showing them some examples. You know, an example of Huawei um, finishing. Uh, uh, you know, a, a symphony, an unfinished symphony, um, and and those guys were kind of like terrified, right? They, yeah, they said, but that's not that's not the way it works. I mean, music music shouldn't be designed and composed by an algorithm. And I said, I'm not saying that this is the future. I'm saying that this is a possibility. So, I mean, just please open your minds. But I, it was a complete failure. My lecture was kind of like frustrating and really terrifying for them. So my recommendation to a young person is just follow your passion. And please, yeah. you know, cultivate and nurture, nurture your curiosity because it's the only thing that is going to keep you alive. So, I mean, it's more about passion and curiosity more, more than, than choose the right content. I mean, and, yeah. and, and be, I mean, and this is something... This is something that has to be a mantra. Uh, be multidisciplinary. I mean, uh, play with music, play with painting, and at the same time be curious about coding and put both things together. Because I think this is the only thing that is going to help you not to be more employable, but to be more flexible and adaptable for, a, for it always, for, I mean, for an ever-changing future, which is where we're living right now. Yes, yes, absolutely. So on that note, Bernardo, I've, I've, I've asked you lots of questions, but is there something that you would like to add uh, before we wrap up uh, this, this wonderful conversation, I have to say? Well, I've got a question um, for you as well. So uh, we can, okay. you know, I'm going to ask you a question, and if you want, we can get the reply and go through that. Okay. Having all the information you have, you know, and, and, and I was going through, through your profile, and, and I was, you know, astonished and amazed as well, Carla, I mean, are you utopian or dystopian about the future we are creating today? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, optimistic like you. Um, and um, I, I, I do see some challenges for education to kind of respond to it and, and to kind of turn things around. And it's very easy to kind of get mired in those challenges. But actually, you know, there's also uh, something about people and people going forward and people being curious and people wanting to know things and people wanting to figure things out and people also be realizing now that we can't continue the way we are sort of living our lives and what encourages me most is actually the young people um so and and you know the movements you see uh, transpire and and happen and and just how people, young people, seem to be reacting to some of these challenges we're throwing in front of them. 
and and that I find I find really invigorating and and sort of keeps me really enthusiastic about the world. We the world has got tremendous challenges, but we've we're also better equipped than than ever to to deal with them, and we just need to give young people the space to do that. So I'm I'm really uh, I'm not dystopian at all. Um, it's very easy to be dystopian. Sometimes a bit more difficult to be utopian, um, but um, I, I believe in in the promise of of, of youth, and the sort of the desire of youth, um, which is probably wh- why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, so, um, and I want us to give them the space to do it. Basically, not tell them what to do, but give them the space to do wow. it. Wow, you know what I love about what you just said—the idea of, you know getting out of your comfort zone is being utopian. And, yes. uh, you know, if you don't mind, I'm going to paraphrase and quote you from now on because, you know, I love that. I, you know, I loved that bit. Uh, and it's fantastic. You know, the real challenge is, you know, be, you know, challenging and think about, you know, the easy way is to get dystopian. So I love that one. So I'm also optimistic. And I think it's a real yeah. challenge. And as you said, Sometimes it's tiring. <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Sometimes yes. it's tiring, but you know, when I yeah. laugh. I think we are. I mean, when things change, it's like opening doors for so many possibilities, and and I think we are opening doors in 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 a more freaking way that that we were in the past. You know, because those are getting opened uh, every every day, every month. That is. Yeah. You know, so just remember, you know, I think I'm, but I'm, I'm basically, you know, you're talking about the future and it's not a good idea to talk about politics, but if we've overcome Trump, I mean, the world is going to be a better place. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I have to say, Bernardo, this has been a wonderful conversation for me. I. And that's where my husband closed my laptop and we leave our esteemed guest this week, forever to wonder how Bernardo was going to sign off. So a huge thank you to Carla and Bernardo for their fantastic head to head. Thanks again to Bet for supporting this series and Form Assembly for supporting this episode and to you for listening in. I hope you've enjoyed it. Our next episode is ruminating on the power of impact investing in education. Don't forget to check out our calendar for upcoming virtual events from the wider EdTech community. There's plenty coming up and a whole bunch of stuff we're involved in too. For all the show notes, including resource and reading recommendations from our guests, it's www.theedtechpodcast.com. And as always, we love to hear from you. If you don't want to leave us a voicemail, you can always tweet us using the hashtag edtechpod. That's all for now. Have a great week. Bye-bye.